0: Hi guys, I'm Dee, Dee West, and this is Broken Limelight. Well, we made it to the third and final part of the R. Kelly story. Listen guys, I don't care how long this takes, I am not doing a part four. I'm exhausted of this case. So let's go ahead and jump right into this, and uh, let's get this over with. As We know the allegations date back to the year 1991 and here we are 30 years later still talking about it Okay, so once again if you haven't listened to part 1 and 2 you're gonna be really lost in this episode in part 2 We left off talking about R. Kelly's trial and the victims who had come forward in June 2008 Jim DeRogatis was called to testify they tried everything to get him out of it because he was adamant that he didn't want to reveal the sources that had spoken to him off the record. But Gon wanted him to testify and threatened to lock him up if he didn't. Gon also made an odd decision about his testimony. Jim was going to take the stand and become part of the record, but not in front of the jury. So what Jim ended up doing was, for every question that he was asked, he basically repeated that he was exercising his Fifth and First Amendments. On June 5th, Robert's defense team started their case. The defense called three of Rishonda's relatives to the stand, and they all said that they did not recognize the girl on the tape to be Rishonda. The defense also called a video expert, Charles Palm, who said that he could not detect any signs that the tapes were faked, although he also couldn't rule out that possibility. Robert declared that he would not testify at the advice of his lawyers. On Friday, June 13th, the jury came to a verdict after seven and a half hours of deliberation. The courtroom was full of people. Everyone was whispering about how R. Kelly was going to spend the next 15 years in prison. One of his attorneys even shook his hand and said, we did everything we could. Judge Gahn was immediately like, I don't want any outbursts. And he threatened to hold anyone in contempt if they disrupted the reading of the verdict. The verdict for the first of 14 counts against R. Kelly for making child pornography was announced, not guilty. Robert broke down in tears. They repeated not guilty 13 more times. He was found not guilty on every single count. The prosecution looked stunned. They were stunned. Some of the jurors held a press conference and explained how they were all eager to go home. At the end of the day, neither side proved their case beyond a reasonable doubt, and that's why they had to go for not guilty. But some jurors did say that they believed that was Robert and Rashonda in the tapes. They just couldn't be 100% sure without Rashonda testifying. Another juror, number 61, spoke about it on Surviving R. Kelly, saying, I just didn't believe them, the woman. I know it sounds ridiculous. The way they dress, the way they act, I didn't like them. Sorry, but juror number 61 really sounds like an incel. I don't know how they let that man be on this jury. And I bet he's an R. Kelly fan too. When the press presented the jurors with all the evidence they hadn't heard, the civil lawsuits, Aaliyah, the other tapes, the Florida photos, the patterns of behavior that had been previously reported, they were shocked. Judge Gon hosted a party after the trial was over, supposedly to celebrate the end of it and how hard everyone had worked. In Robert's biography, Solar Coaster, he says that his defense wanted him to take a plea bargain for eight months in prison because they were worried that Lisa Van Allen's testimony would lead to his conviction. But he insisted that he wasn't going to admit to anything. Six months after the trial ended, Robert and Drea were finally divorced. In September 2002, Robert did an interview for BET's The Black Carpet. The interview started out okay, and then he was suddenly asked, Do you like underage girls? And Rob's manager jumped in and was like, no, 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 no. You can't ask that. And Rob just brushed him aside and went, it's cool. I got this. So then the interviewer reworded the question and said, do you like teenage girls? And then he said, well, how old are we talking? And the interviewer was like stunned. He goes, girls who are teenagers. So ultimately, Robert says that he has friends who are 19, but he doesn't like anybody illegal, if that's what he means by underage. Robert's crisis manager, Alan Mayer, quit the next day, but he continued to release some statements at Robert's request for about a year or so. In 2012, Jim found out about another victim. This was Geronda Johnson Pace. Geronda had been following the R. Kelly trial and even used a fake ID to get in because, surprise, minors were not allowed in. She was only 15, but she told investigators that she was 18. When they announced the not guilty verdict, she jumped up and down and said to reporters, he's free, he's innocent, they can stop calling him a pedophile now. Geronda said that she was pretty starstruck, and kind of like, maybe that's not the girl in the tape. She was a huge R. Kelly fan, and like I said before, I'm just a little bit older than Geronda, and I remember when all of that happened, and I think all the kids were starstruck and didn't want to believe it was him. He was literally making all the best music that was played, like, at the high school dances and on the radio. And a lot of people were making jokes about him peeing on people, which just made things really confusing. So Geronda called herself R. Kelly's biggest fan, and he would smile at her and speak to her and one time gave her his autograph. When Geronda was 16, someone from Rob's crew friended her on Myspace, and he invited her to a party at Robert's Mansion at Olympia Fields. Robert spotted her and told her he remembered her from the trial, and he asked for her phone number. He didn't ask for her age, and she didn't tell him. He later invited her to come back and told her to bring a bathing suit. She, of course, thought that they were just going to go swimming, but instead he told her to change into it, and then he had her walk back and forth like she was modeling it for him. Then he tells her to start taking off pieces of the bikini. On that first encounter, they both exchanged oral sex. According to Geronda, Robert made her write and sign letters saying that she had stolen jewelry and cash from him and that her parents had set her up to blackmail him. He told her that it was insurance so that she wouldn't talk about their relationship. She says that none of that was true, but she did exactly what she was told. A few days later, she went back over and he took her virginity. They continued having sex for seven months. Um, This is a quote from Geronda. Geronda. I had to call him daddy, and he would call me baby. He wanted me to have two pigtails, and I had to go out and find little schoolgirl outfits. I noticed every time I brought up me going home, he would ask me, well, what do you have to do? And I was just like, I just want to go home and get a change of clothes. And he'd go, I could buy you some of those. He never wanted me to leave. Geronda finally showed him her legal ID, showing that she was only 16, and he said that it was fine, but she shouldn't tell anyone. And if anybody asked she should just say that she was 19, but she should always act 21 She allegedly asked him if he liked young girls to which he responded Of course I do. I can train them older women have too much knowledge when they're young I can train them and I can mold them to be who I want them to be While Geronda was staying at Robert's house She told her parents that she was actually staying with her friend Dominique Gardner Dominique was also a huge R Kelly fan and just a year older than Geronda Dominique eventually also started hanging out at Robert's Mansion. Like many of R. Kelly's other victims, Geronda says that they had to follow rules whenever they went over there. Like, they had to wear baggy clothing, turn over their cell phones to him, ask for permission to shower, eat, or go to the bathroom. Or even when they wanted to leave his house, they had to ask him for permission. If they broke the rules or hesitated to perform certain sexual acts, he would slap them. He had Geronda perform sex acts that she wasn't comfortable with, like using a strap on, for example. He made her have sex with other people while he would watch. Geronda actually said that she had seen Rashonda Landfair at some of the parties at the mansion and that she recognized her from the sex tape. She also says that she once had sex with the woman that Robert called his trainer because she taught the new girls the rules and how to how to pleasure him. The trainer was allegedly best friends with Rashonda in high school. In 2010, Geronda broke off contact with Robert after an incident where he caught her texting a friend, and he demanded that she prove her loyalty by having a threesome with him and another man. She refused, and he slapped her, and he held her against the wall, choked her, and he forced her to give him head, and then he spit in her face, and then he finished all over her face. Geronda wiped it off with the blue t-shirt and she saved it and she got the fuck out of there in 2018 she turned the t-shirt into the police and it would be cited as evidence in a new round of charges against R. Kelly in 2019 She had also signed an NDA at some point, but she would break it in 2017 She actually showed the documents of the NDA to Jim I'll read a little bit of what it says In the event that Geronda Johnson, her agents, attorneys, or any person or entity acting on their behalf, breaches the confidentiality or non-disparagement provisions of this agreement, Kelly's obligations hereunder to make any further payments from and after the breach shall cease. Any breach of confidentiality provision would cause Kelly irreparable injury. Kelly would be entitled to an injunction in addition to any other legal remedies he may have. Okay, so remember Susan Loggins? She was like... She was an attorney who had represented a lot of the girls, but she had discouraged them from pressing criminal charges. So, Geronda saw on Susan's website that she had represented a lot of women who had accused R. Kelly, so she contacted Susan, and she was allegedly told that the settlement would make her a millionaire, so she was also dissuaded from going to the police. They also told her that if she was to file criminal charges, it would likely be just like last time, and he wouldn't get convicted, and she would just be another girl he did it to. If she really wanted justice, she would just go ahead and get money from him instead. In 2012, Geronda complained to Logan's office that the payments from Robert were were missing or late. By then, Robert had substantial financial problems since he had to pay child support and alimony to Drea, and he owed the IRS nearly $5 million in unpaid taxes. And also, the mansion he bought in 2002 was in foreclosure. So since Susan Longins wasn't helping, Geronda got a new lawyer. His name was David Fish. He filed a lawsuit for Geronda against not only Robert, but also against Susan. The lawsuit claimed that the settlement had been orchestrated so that Susan would be paid her $500,000 immediately, but Geronda would only get $250,000, and the man who abused her was defaulting on those payments. Geronda settled the claim against Susan for $27,000, and her second claim against Robert for $375,000. When Geronda was 19, she said that she heard about how Robert's mansion was in foreclosure, and she started to feel sorry for him. She told Jim that she also kind of wanted to rekindle her relationship with Robert. She does acknowledge that she was a, a kid and not being smart. So Geronda broke her NDA one day. She basically was just talking to her friends about R. Kelly, And Her friends had secretly been recording it on a cell phone and they took it to Robert's crisis manager looking for payment Robert's team threatened her for breaking the NDA and eventually got her to sign a second one Okay, so I know that this story gets confusing because there's literally so many people involved So around 2015 there was talk of R. Kelly housing six women who were all his girlfriends some of whom had been with him for years The rumor was that he had been brainwashing these women and that this was like a big sex cult. These girls overlap in the timeline, so please bear with me and I'll try to be as clear as I can. So, first, we're going to talk about Cheryl Mack. I mentioned Cheryl in the past episodes. She was one of the people who worked as Robert's personal assistant. She eventually quit working for him and she opened up to Jim about what she knows. She admitted that she saw him mistreat the women he housed. She said, Girls initially think, This is R. Kelly. I'm going to live a lavish lifestyle. No, you have to ask for food. You have to ask to go to the bathroom. He is a master at mind control. He's a puppet master. He doesn't want their figures to be exposed. He doesn't want them to look appealing to anyone else. When other men entered the room, he made the girls turn around and face the wall in their jogging suits because he doesn't want them to be looked at by anyone else. Cheryl Mack met R. Kelly in 2004. She had represented three artists who wound up having sexual relationships with him. The first was a woman in her 30s. The second was a 17-year-old singer from Chicago's West Side who was then living in Atlanta. Cheryl said that Robert took this young woman's virginity and when their relationship ended a year later, she tried to slit her wrists on multiple occasions and even tried driving her car into the middle of traffic in Chicago. This young singer and her mother approached Susan Loggins. Robert's attorney and manager at the time worked their magic and they paid the girl and her mother off. They settled for $750,000. Apparently, Robert had also suggested to Cheryl that she team up this 17-year-old singer with a 19-year-old songwriter, who was this other woman who also began a sexual relationship with Robert and eventually joined the cult. Cheryl said, She looks awful. He dresses her up in sweats, threw her in a room, and threw away the key. She doesn't write anymore. She doesn't record any music. She does absolutely nothing. She's a servant to Robert. It's so sad. Cheryl started working with R. Kelly in 2013. Despite knowing about his past, she said that she really honestly thought that she could be the one to help him. Cheryl also shared that she uses the word girls, even though some of them were grown women. This was because Robert actually likes to dress them up like little girls. He allegedly orchestrated threesomes and sometimes demanded that the girls have sex with them in front of other people. And according to Cheryl, she once heard Robert tell the 19-year-old singer, if you want to learn and engage an audience, you have to learn it right here. Cheryl had had enough and quit working for him in 2015. Another member of the cult was Joycelyn Savage, and her story began in 2015 with a fax from her mother, Jongelyn. She sent a fax to Jim that said, Hi, I am a mom of a young adult daughter who was caught up as a victim by Mr. Kelly. I spoke with another parent recently who I believe has or will be contacting you soon from Florida. I reside in Atlanta. If you can give me a contact number and a time to reach you later this evening, my husband and I will call you together with more information.
1: This is not easy
0: for us and we are not looking for any exposure or seeking money. I never thought my daughter would end up dealing with someone like this. He is still up to his same tactics. He just makes sure they are over 17 or 18. Kind regards jay so let me tell you about joycelyn's relationship with robert so joycelyn and her sister jay were aspiring singers shocker and their mom johnjalin ran a little boutique where she would play joy's demos in 2015 a woman who was shopping told johnjalin that she liked what she heard and she told her that she knew someone in r kelly's inner circle so johnjalin gave her a demo and her contact information Robert's road manager called them and talked to Joy's dad, Tim, and told him, send me some pictures, send me the songs. Tim was super pumped and super proud of his daughter, so he excitedly sent them over. Then they sent them back some VIP tickets to the Atlanta Funk Fest to see R. Kelly play. John was trying to keep a close eye on her two daughters, but at one point when she wasn't looking, somebody from Robert's crew pressed a note with Robert's phone number into both Joy and Jay's hands. Jay was just halfway through high school, and she took the number and threw it away. But Joy, who was about to start her first year of college, kept the number. A couple days later, they got an invite to another concert, but this time, Robert personally sat with Jongalyn and Joy Salid for two hours and actually listened to her CD, and he told them that he was going to help her with it. Jongalyn had heard about the accusations, of course, but she thought that he was genuinely interested in helping her with her music. She also thought that she could keep her daughter safe if one of her parents was always with her. But after that visit with him, Joy started texting him secretly. So as far as John knew, that was the end of it and the contact with Robert had ceased. She had no idea that there was any communication going on between him and Joy. One weekend in June of 2015, Joy told her parents that she was making a visit to a nearby college that she was considering. But instead, she flew to Oklahoma City to see Robert. According to Joy, she and Robert had sex for the first time on this trip. But I guess Joy was skeptical about whether Robert really wanted to help her with her career, or if he was just using her for sex. So she had her friend record a phone conversation. They did a three-way call, and he recorded it. And apparently that's legal in Georgia to record a third-party conversation without consent. Anyway, the call is kind of troubling. I think it's no shocker to anyone that the conversation quickly turned sexual but you like you you really see the man at work Like he's instantly trying to ask her what she's wearing and shit like that And he says to her I want you to get in the habit of telling me what color panties you got on every day He also told her I'm gonna teach you how to flex them little titties. It's gonna be on That made me uncomfortable So she tried bringing up her music a few times saying things like I want to work with you on that song. And he'd be like, yeah, huh. I will listen to that song and I'll let you know. I'm more interested in developing you. New songs are not an issue. I always do hit songs. But first things first, you got to keep that character up if you're turned out. Joy said, you know, I'm on it. Several of Robert's girlfriends over the years said that he often talked about, quote, turning them out. If you haven't heard that phrase, turned out, It's basically like street slang for transforming a girl or woman with minimal sexual experiences into one who's much more experienced. Uh, Typically, it refers to a pimp turning a woman into a sex worker. In 2016, Joy enrolled in college, and she often went to visit Robert on her nights off. But by the end of the fall semester, she stopped going to classes and eventually dropped out. By the way, she's 21 at this point. I don't know if I said that. While in college, she got really close with her roommate, Tori. Allegedly, Joy told Tori that she was one of six women who lived with and slept with R. Kelly. Apparently, the other women called her a prude and picked on her. She also told Tori about an occasion where Robert sent a cab to pick the girls up from the house and take them to a nightclub. The driver made a joke and Joy laughed, and one of the other women texted Robert to tell him because that was against the rules to even slightly acknowledge another man. When they got to the club, Robert literally took Joy and bent her over and gave her an ass whooping. Joy also opened up to Tori about the rules. Like others have said, Joy said that Robert took her cell phone and threw it into the lake, and then gave her a new one that was only to be used to talk to him. She told her about how she had to ask for permission for absolutely anything, like going to the bathroom for, to eat something, and even when she wanted to go to bed at night, she had to ask. Joy's appearance changed drastically. She lost a lot of weight and she also chopped off her hair. It was originally long and flowy and she cut it really short and permed it and then she dyed it blonde. People said that she looked like a male prisoner. Tori asked her why she did that to her hair and she just said Robert likes it this way. Tori also recalls that Joy told her about the sex acts he makes them perform and apparently she was telling her this through tears in her eyes. He apparently made them have threesomes all the time even when he wasn't involved and he would make them use butt plugs and stuff and it clearly was something that Joy didn't like but she did it anyway and she just wouldn't listen to anybody about leaving him. Tori said that it was like talking to a robot. She was just so brainwashed. Joy's parents were in contact with her sporadically when the school year started but she suddenly stopped calling, stopped taking their calls. And she stopped coming home altogether to visit or even to do her laundry or anything. She ended up missing holidays. She missed her sister's graduation. She even missed funerals of her family members. In the winter of 2016, she came home to pick up a few things and the whole family, as well as Tori, got together and planned an intervention. She again was wearing gray sweatpants and had her short blonde permed hair. But she just kept smiling and saying that she loves him and that he's the only one that cares about her. John Jolin said that she just wished she could get her back and get her some kind of treatment, like, for victims of cults. In December of 2016, Joyce sent her parents a short text that just said, I hate that Christmas has to be this way this year. And that's one of the last times they heard from her directly for a while. Joyce's parents tried so hard to reach her Johngelen actually closed down her store to investigate on her own, since the police weren't helping, because Joy was above legal age. They tried to send police to do well checks, but they had no luck. In January 2017, three officers looked around the perimeter of Robert's building and noted that there were iron bars on the windows and cameras lining the exterior. They spoke to Joy, and in their notes, they wrote, Joyce and Savage related that she was fine and did not want to be bothered by her parents. Joyce and Savage further related that she keeps in contact with her maternal grandmother when BuzzFeed reached out to her grandmother she goes by Nana she said that she spoke to her granddaughter by phone only two or three times since December. She said that Joycelyn had emphasized that she's an adult in, an, in a consensual relationship with R. Kelly and she was mad at her parents for intervening. She also told her grandma that her parents were trying to ruin his career. Nana says that despite Joycelyn's insisting that everything's fine. She's gravely concerned about her and she also believes that she's being held against her will Nana said that if she could talk to R. Kelly today, she would tell him to send her granddaughter home She said he knows it's not right and he would not want anybody doing it to his daughter Okay, so now we're going to talk about the other girl who John Jolin mentioned in the facts the girl from Florida this was Azrael Clary Azrael's story is Eerily familiar she was an aspiring singer with an amazing voice, but she suffered from depression and in 2015 she tried to hurt herself Her parents are named Angelo and Alice Clary And one thing they made very clear was that they felt so stupid for falling for Robert's old tricks In Alice's own words she said My thing was I Trusted I've never been in the music industry before ever and he's a lyrical genius He's R. Kelly and the fact is, he went to court, he was never found guilty, he was acquitted, and we were led to believe there was no truth in it. That just, like, breaks me. I mean, the court had determined he was innocent. Ugh. So the Clarys took both of their daughters to see Robert perform at the Funk Fest in Orlando, and there was a part in the show where they were pulling people up on stage. As Riel was pulled up on stage, and, you guessed it, a crew member slipped a Robert's phone number. Her parents didn't believe it was his number, so they called it, but there was no answer. Well, he must have texted or called Azrael back later because a relationship developed over phone calls and text messages behind her parents' backs. All of a sudden, Azrael didn't come home from school one day. So they started looking for her, and they finally got a text from her saying that she's okay. She just met up with R. Kelly at his hotel. They were like, you met up with R. Kelly at his hotel? So they rushed to the hotel and they called the police who told them to deal with the hotel security. They did and Azrael came down, but Robert refused to talk to them. So they took her home and they decided that she could only talk to him if one of them was present. They really, really thought that Robert would help Azriel with her career. So they just vowed to be more careful and make sure that this was about the music. They wanted him to mentor her like he did with Aaliyah. But then Robert wanted her to tour with him, and they were convinced that this would be a good opportunity for her to learn. Robert also assured them that there would be a female guardian present who would keep an eye on her in their place, and they trusted him. Again, they acknowledged that this was stupid. Azrael admitted that she began having sex with Robert in 2015, so this relationship that was supposed to be about music had indeed turned sexual. Azrael was 17 at this point. R. Kelly's like, I don't know, 50? He was 48. Azrael never came home from her touring with Robert, and sources say that she became his favorite of the six women he was housing. He called her his number one girl. In August of 2015, they tried sending their oldest daughter, Elsie, to go get her. They just thought that Rob's crew would trust her more than a pair of angry parents. So she showed up to his recording studio and she got into a loud argument with Robert and his crew, just demanding to see her sister. Alcice was holding a phone up and Alice was on the, other, on the other end of the phone listening and she heard Robert say, you need to shut the hell up with all this noise. I don't do drama. You're making a scene. So then Alice called the police, but when they got there, Azrael was no longer there. So Alcice came home. They filed a police report in Chicago, and the police department took no action. They tried to get Florida police to investigate, but they also took no action. In July of 2017, Azrael reached out to her father and told him that Robert wanted to invite him to a concert to talk man-to-man. But Angelo did not trust this one bit, and he declined the invitation. Then Azrael told him some news. Robert had recently paid for her to have a breast enhancement surgery. As it turns out, Joycelyn Savage also had the surgery. Needless to say, the Clarys were just baffled and fucking raging. Angelo said, I do believe she has been brainwashed. She's starstruck and believes he will help her do the things she's dreamed about. But she's not doing anything. Not singing. Nothing. And I just don't know what we can do. Alice was actually really nervous about how to act because... She had read that some of Robert's victims had tried to kill themselves when he didn't want them anymore. And like I said, Azriel has a history of depression and self-harm. So Azriel also apparently stopped calling, stopped visiting, and she missed big events like family funerals. She didn't even contact Alice on Mother's Day. In May 2018, they tried again to bring Azriel home. They flew to Chicago and they went to Robert's new studio and... They argued with two of his guards, who ended up calling the police. The cops actually threatened to arrest the Clarys for causing a disturbance, and they allegedly refused to take a police report or conduct a well check on Azriel. Angela also noted that the officers who responded seemed to be friendly with R. Kelly's guards. So Jim actually found out that Chicago's off-duty police officers are not required to report who they work for part-time. And it was said that some officers in Chicago and Olympia Fields worked security for R. Kelly, and the department's rules didn't require them to tell anybody about it. Azrael called him just a few hours later, and she told him that she was fine and she just wanted to be left alone. Interestingly, the language she used was almost identical to a YouTube video that Joy Savage made, almost like they were following a script. Now let's move on to the next victim. This was actually Geronda's friend Dominique Gardner. In 2016, Geronda got an Instagram message from Dominique saying that she needed help. She said that she was drinking a lot and just really stressed out and that she was living in a high-rise downtown. When Robert lost his mansion, he rented an apartment in Trump Tower, Chicago. According to Geronda, Dominique didn't specifically name Robert in the text, but she said things like, You can't tell anybody it's him and You know that guy we had in common. She said she wanted to get out. So as this was happening, people actually started comparing R. Kelly to Charles Manson. To this day, people still blame Robert's victims. But, like Charles Manson, Robert would seek out girls of a certain type. Girls who break down easier. People around Charles Manson said that he had once gone into the forest with a girl, and she was never the same when they came back. And still... She never left Charlie's cult. Charles Manson also used music to try to draw in young people. So Dominique doesn't actually like to use words like cult or brainwashed, but if you watch Surviving R. Kelly, you can kind of pick up on why her mom, Michelle, was so concerned. So during the filming, Dominique was still in the cult, and Michelle just, she like, she got a tip that Dominique is at this one hotel. So she goes and tries to see her, and it's just fucking spooky. Dominique is like whispering and being sneaky like she doesn't want to get caught talking to her mother and her mom is talking to her like like she's a kidnapping victim like walking on eggshells trying not to get her in trouble but she's like desperate to get her the fuck out of there so at the end Dominique gets out and goes home with her mom but it turns out that she went back to Robert only three days later but she only stayed for about two weeks before she left for good she said that she couldn't do it face to face because it would have been too hard So instead, she wrote him a note and left while he was sleeping. The note said, You're a great man. No hard feelings. I'm just over it. I'm growing. This is not working. And she never looked back. Even as she talks to Jim, you can tell that she loves Robert. She calls him misunderstood and says that nobody understands what he's been through. She's clearly really convicted. She also told Jim that she's got two tattoos of R. Kelly's face one on her leg and one on her ribs. It's not uncommon for victims of abuse to be conflicted like this. If you ask a police officer, they'll often tell you that they might show up for a call for domestic abuse and a victim could be all bruised and bloody and they'll still tell the cops that everything's fine and it's all resolved. The next victim we're going to talk about is Asante McGee. Asante was in her 30s while she was in the cult. She met Robert at a show, and she was invited backstage, and they exchanged phone numbers and started texting and talking on the phone. He asked her early on if she was ready to be a part of his world, and she said yes. She believed that they were in love. He actually introduced her to the other girls in the cult, and she also met the trainer that Geronda was talking about. This girl who was the trainer was 30 at this time, and she had actually been with Robert since she was 15, and she bragged about it, too. She was apparently best friends with Rashonda Landfair. 15 years with this man. It's like he literally raised her. No, no, groomed her. So Asante described a time when she watched Robert have sex with a trainer. The trainer came in through a door and she was completely butt naked. But first she knocked. That's a rule. They always have to knock before entering a room. So Rob told her to come in and he told her, bitch, get down on your knees. So she comes in bare ass naked and she gets down on her hands and knees like a dog and he just started asking her questions like how long have you been with me how many shows have you gone to and she would answer them then he said okay bitch get up and then he told her to suck his dick asante says that she never saw robert hit any of the girls who he called his babies but she said that he abused them in other ways like once he left Azriel on a bus for like three days and she was not allowed to come out She also says that as well as orchestrating threesomes, he demanded, quote, acts of sexual humiliation that she didn't approve of. I mean, she didn't mind if he was into certain things, but she couldn't get into them herself. Asante started to notice how fucked up everything was when she realized that Azrael was only 17. At the time, Asante actually had a 17-year-old daughter, so seeing Azrael do sexual things with Robert was like a huge reality check for her. Again, Robert was nearly 50 years old and having sex with someone the same age as his own daughter. As his own daughter. According to Asante, he also made the girls talk like little girls. Like, actually speak higher pitched and shit. So, like, her watching this man control this young girl like that, it really hit her hard. It was all building up and then one day Asante got in trouble for wearing shorts and a tank top instead of sweats. Even though it was like 100 degrees out. Robert berated her, and she decided then that she had to get out. Another victim had a very similar story, but she actually says that Robert did physically hit her. This was Kitty Jones. She was with Robert from 2011 to 2013. Like everyone else, they met, started texting, and she quit her job to go on tour with him. He offered her a spot as a dancer in the act with the prison cell threesome. She was 35 at this time. Kitty was also introduced to the other woman in the cult. The first woman she met was... Rashonda Landfair. Yup. I said that. Rashonda was almost 30 at this time and hadn't publicly spoken since 2000. Kitty actually asked Robert how long he had known Rashonda. He allegedly replied, I don't like people asking me my business, but I raised her. After that, she sought out the notorious p-tape and she watched it. And that was when she noticed that the girl on the tape was the same woman Robert had just introduced her to. According to Kitty, Roshanna never stopped coming around, so I guess that means Rashanda wasn't actually living with Robert. Or at least she wasn't living with the rest of the cult. Because Robert did have multiple properties, and truthfully, we don't know where Roshanna was. Kitty was also made to perform sex acts that made her uncomfortable. She was forced to participate in threesomes, and of course there was always a camera on her during the sexual acts. She says the final straw came in 2013 when Robert took the girls to a subway restaurant, and she got in trouble for chatting with a male cashier. Allegedly, Robert dragged her outside, threw her against a tree, kicked her, slapped her, choked her, all in broad daylight. Supposedly there were people walking around and nobody did anything. So have you guys heard R. Kelly's 19-minute song called "I Admit?" He released it on SoundCloud in 2018, and it seems like a response to all the allegations. So some of the lyrics say, what's the definition of a cult? What's the definition of a sex slave? Go to the dictionary, look it up. Let me know, I'll be here waiting. And then it says, say I'm abusing these women. What the fuck? That's some really absurd shit. They're brainwashed, really? Kidnapped, really? Can't eat, really? Real talk, that shit sounds silly. By this point, Jim DeRogatis had gathered plenty of information, so he published a new story. It was called, Parents Told Police Their Daughter Is Being Held Against Her Will in R. Kelly's Cult. This time, people finally started to listen. The Mute R. Kelly movement was started. This was like a big, big protest. They were trying to get R. Kelly off the stage, out of the studio... They essentially wanted to stop him from hurting women by shutting down the income that was enabling him. And they were pretty successful. They got 11 concerts canceled within the first 15 months. The movement also had a lot of support. This was in like the midst of the Harvey Weinstein allegations and celebrities were now openly speaking out against it. The founders of Mew R. Kelly released a strong statement that was supported by celebrities like John Legend and Shonda Rhimes, among others. The statement demanded action by industry enablers like RCA, Sony Music, Ticketmaster, Spotify, Apple Music. They also demanded further investigations. Tarana Burke, who was the founder of the Me Too movement, also supported the statement. She also said, It's going to take the black community to fully embrace the idea of R. Kelly being a predator and to understand that even if the girls are now 21 or 18, it's still predatory behavior and that shouldn't be celebrated in our community. Another lawsuit came out in 2018. This suit was filed by Faith Rogers. She met him at a concert in San Antonio in 2017 when she was just 19 years old, and she alleges that she was sexually assaulted, locked in rooms as punishment when she failed to please him, and that he infected her with herpes during the course of their relationship. By the end of 2018, law enforcement still hadn't done anything, but in 2019, Lifetime released Surviving R. Kelly, which was huge it literally broke viewership records for lifetime for the first time everyone could actually see the victim's faces and hear their own words if you haven't seen it it shows over 50 interviews from multiple victims like Lizette Martinez Geronda Pace Asante McGee Drea Kelly there's also interviews from people who worked closely with Robert like Demetrius Smith Robert's brothers Aliyah's mom Diane Houghton also spoke Three days after the show came out, there was a press conference where victims of R. Kelly's were asked to come forward. But Robert was not too concerned. He threw a party for his, for his 52nd birthday. He sang Bump and Grind and women literally shouted, abduct me. One thing that's pretty messed up is that a lot of people were making money off of Robert. So it didn't benefit any of them for him to stop making music. Jive Records made a shit ton of money from him. Clive Calder, who was one of the label heads, said that he regrets not trying harder to get Robert help, but, quote, I'm not a psychiatrist and this guy is a troubled guy. Clearly we missed something. Jive's chief executive, Barry Weiss, actually claimed that he knew nothing about Robert's behavior, which is just ridiculous because Jive Records was literally named as a party in several lawsuits by this point. In February 2019, Robert was indicted for the second time on 10 counts of criminal sexual abuse involving four victims, three of which were minors. One of the lawyers representing the victims, Michael Avenatti, discovered yet another sex tape where Robert assaults a minor. One of the victims in this case was Geronda Pace, who had offered a piece of evidence, the t-shirt that she used to wipe his semen off of herself. Joy and Azriel were ushered in and out of the courtroom by a middle-aged white woman. They both stared straight ahead at Robert the whole time. They didn't even glance at their parents, who were right there in the courtroom. His latest attorney maintained his innocence by saying, He's a rock star. He doesn't have to have non-consensual sex. His bond was paid, and he and his crew went to the Rock and Roll McDonald's. A bunch of his fans heard that he was there, and they showed up bumping his music in the parking lot. Robert posted a video on his Facebook page where he said, like a lot of you motherfuckers, I am handcuffed by my destiny. It's too late. They should have did this shit 30 years ago. It's too late. The music has been injected into the world. In March 2019, Robert Kelly did an interview with Gail King. You guys remember those memes, right? Where R. Kelly flew into a fucking rage. So, Gail was trying to ask him about his response to surviving R. Kelly. She asked him about if he ever kept anyone against their will. And Robert just, like lost his ever-loving shit. Like, he starts getting agitated and raising his voice and, like, pounding his fists into his hand saying, I'm being assassinated. What really gets me about this interview is that as he's defending himself, he's like, why would I hold someone against their will? Why, in the middle of all I'm going through, would I do that? That's stupid. Use your common sense. This is funny because this is, like, exactly what Woody Allen said. And I said it then, and I'll say it again. You're best excuse is that you're not quite stupid enough to do that? Come on, buddy. We're in an age of a true crime obsession. And I know that I can't be the only one thinking that all logic goes out the window when you have this kind of compulsion. And some of you creepy fucks even like it even more when it's risky. And people talk about him like, it's impossible for him to hold someone against their will. Like, why would it be against their will? It's R. Kelly. Of course they want to be there. How could the world's greatest R. Kelly ever possibly rape someone? Who wouldn't want it? Kind of reminds me of a certain somebody who said they could just grab him by the pussy. Right? Okay, then. But anyway, he seriously, like, becomes unglued in the interview with Gail King. He stands up and starts wagging his finger in Gail's face, and she just remains seated, acting cool, calm, and collected. Seriously, look at the pictures. I am sure you've seen them, but look again. You really just get these, like, angry, scary vibes from him. Apparently, at the end of the interview, she told him that she hopes he gets help. So then Gail interviewed Azrael Clary and Joycelyn Savage, who were still in the cult at that time. Since their parents are claiming that they are brainwashed and they need rescuing, Gail asked them questions about the relationship and trying to understand it. Azrael was pretty fucking defensive about the relationship, like, Instantly started defending it and defending Robert They both said that they absolutely love him and they're happy and they're safe But as it turns out Robert was actually kind of lurking over them in the corner of the room while they were being interviewed The day the first interview aired Robert was arrested for failing to pay child support He owed his ex-wife Drea a hundred and sixty thousand dollars That same day, authorities opened up an investigation into a woman's claims that Robert had sex with her in 2001 when she was just 13 years old. In May 2019, Robert was hit with 11 new charges related to sex crimes. Some of these counts carried a maximum sentence of 30 years in prison. Robert's lawyer said that this was related to a previous crime and these were not new allegations from a new accuser. In July 2019, Robert was arrested again while walking his dog. Authorities were afraid that he was a flight risk, so they requested a pretrial detention. I'll admit that they are being pretty petty now, just, like, arresting him while he's walking his dog. But, I mean, he's gotten away with it for so long, I can only imagine that they're like, we gotta do this fast before you pay somebody off, buddy. So, the new charges were released. Um, They included racketeering predicated on criminal conduct, including sexual exploitation of children, kidnapping, forced labor... And Man Act violations involving the coercion and transportation of women and girls in interstate commerce to engage in illegal sexual activity. I know I sound dumb. I just have really bad cotton mouth. Robert was also accused of forcing victims and their families to take lie detector tests to make sure they didn't have secret copies of the videos that he made. In addition to that, it also alleges that Robert arranged for a victim and her parents to travel internationally so they wouldn't be able to talk to police back in 2002 when he was indicted the first time. Ah, remember when authorities were trying to question Rashonda and her parents about the sex tape, and then they heard that she was on tour in Europe? Mm Mm-hmm. In August 2019, he was charged for prostitution and solicitation. They claimed that Robert solicited a 17-year-old girl at one of his concerts, and he paid her $200 to dance naked with him back in 2001. He was actually denied bail this time. They were worried about the strong possibility of witness tampering and the threat of physical harm to witnesses. A new victim was added to the charges. There's not a lot of information, just that she met Robert in the late 90s when she was about 14 or 15. Robert pled not guilty to everything, as always. In August 2020, three of Robert's associates were charged with attempting to intimidate, harass, or pay off alleged victims in the racketeering case against him. Prosecutors said that one victim was offered $500,000 to buy her silence, although no money was ultimately exchanged. Another was threatened with the release of sexually explicit photos, and a third woke up to find that her car had been set on fire in her driveway. Just a week after that, Robert was attacked in jail. Apparently, there were pro-R. Kelly protests going on outside of the jail, so they would lock down the entire facility. This other inmate was apparently really, really pissed off because they were not able to get visitors because of the protests. So he went up to Robert while he was sitting in his bed and just started punching him. By the end of 2020, Azrael and Joycelyn both left Robert, but not before brawling with each other. It's so bizarre. I don't even really know how to explain it, so i'm gonna I'm gonna post a link to it on brokenlimelight.com under this episode's show notes. But what happened was Azriel had left Robert, and apparently she went to his arraignment, but she didn't go for him. She actually went to try and help Joycelyn. So like Azriel goes to stay in one of R. Kelly's old apartments, and by then, Joycelyn, who's still with him, has moved out into a newer, smaller apartment. So Joycelyn shows up at the hotel where Azriel is staying with a couple of R. Kelly's handlers, and she basically is like, I'm gonna take all of these trophies and all of his stuff. And they start fighting. Like they're just arguing. Joycelyn's like calling her disrespectful for having a camera crew there, and you you have to watch it. But basically, Azriel all of a sudden starts saying. I'm gonna have you arrested for having sex with a minor because of course Asriel has been underage this whole time and Joycelyn has engaged in sexual acts with her before So Joycelyn was arrested, but apparently her parents met up with her at the courthouse This was the first time she saw them in over three years Joycelyn was the last woman to leave Robert She was the only one left and with Robert in jail There was a lot of debt and no money coming in. So Joyston got a small apartment and Robert was intending to live with her according to the court documents. But it didn't last long. She has since spoken out. Okay, so I'm sure you guys can see by this point that all of this behavior is basically just repeating itself. So let's fast forward to today. Currently, R. Kelly is in jail. He's been incarcerated since 2019. He's still fighting the charges related to racketeering and sexual assault and kidnapping. And they're also now looking more into the marriage to Aaliyah. They believe that Robert married her so that she couldn't testify against him. And they're also charging that Robert bribed a government employee to give them fake identification, showing that Aaliyah was 18 instead of 15. And furthermore, they are now acknowledging that if they were married, is he really still denying that they had sex? And now they're also trying to introduce video evidence specifically showing that Robert got physical and violent with his victims. I'm kind of losing track of all the women who are included in this current lawsuit. However, there are now two male victims who have been added to that. Allegedly, Robert met a 17-year-old boy at McDonald's in 2006 and initiated a sexual relationship with him. The boy claims that Robert made him have sex with other people. This boy introduced a friend to Robert, who was 16 or 17 at the time. Robert started having sex with this guy a few years later, and he also made him have sex with others, um, women, including an underage girl. As always, these sexual encounters were filmed. Robert is currently being held in Brooklyn. The two sets of federal charges against him are pending in New York and Illinois. Altogether, he faces 22 federal charges that involve allegedly abusing girls and women over the course of more than two decades, and that he led a circle of managers, drivers, bodyguards, and other entourage members who assisted him. I don't know if you guys remember a guy I talked about earlier named Ed Genson. He was one of R. Kelly's lawyers. So he actually passed away in April of 2020. He was diagnosed with bile duct cancer, and he basically made some, uh, they were like deathbed confessions. He was told that he had about 90 days to live, and he had gone beyond that. But um, here are a few things that he said. So he did an interview with Chicago Sun-Times, and he basically, he started off with, I can say whatever I want, but we've got to do it fast. When he was asked about the sex tapes with minors, he said he was guilty as hell. I don't think he's done anything inappropriate for years. I'll tell you a secret. I had him go to the doctor to get his shots, libido-killing shots. That's why he didn't get arrested for anything else. He also describes his first time listening to the original version of the song Ignition. Apparently, the lyrics were about a high school instructor teaching people how to drive. So Ed was like, are you crazy? This is all I need. And Robert rewrote the song. All right, so there's just one more thing I want to mention, and it's about Aaliyah. Now, I've heard conspiracy theories about her death, and one thing I've heard is that Robert may have arranged her death somehow. I never really saw any evidence pointing to that, but I wanted to mention something interesting I just came across. There's a book called Baby Girl, better known as Aaliyah, and it describes how Aaliyah was given a pill before the flight for anxiety because she really, really didn't want to board the plane. So a local cab driver says that he witnessed Aaliyah being carried onto the plane, completely knocked out. Minutes after he saw her entourage carrying her on board, he heard the plane crash. I acknowledge that this might not be related to R. Kelly, but I thought I'd point it out in case you guys want to fall into your own little rabbit holes. Okay, so that's pretty much it for my research. That shit was overwhelmingly dark. I know people all have their own opinions about R. Kelly, and I really hope that this was eye-opening for you guys. My thing is, everyone who defends Robert Kelly and insists it's not him in the tape and that he's innocent of everything and that he would never commit those crimes, why didn't any of those people say, well, then who is that man on the tape? Who is that clearly underage girl if not Rashonda Landfair? Where are these people? If there are more of these tapes, why don't we find them and try to identify these people? I mean, what that shows me is that whether or not it was R. Kelly on the tapes, nobody cared about that victim. Not really. Not enough to find her and save her. Unless maybe they know exactly who she is. If I learned anything after the episodes I did about Woody Allen, it's that some people love these artists so much, so much, that. They love them as if they know them, and no amount of evidence can challenge their love for them. And before anybody tells me, innocent until proven guilty, all I hear when you say that is that you will always choose to believe bad people, even when clear evidence is presented. And just like I said about Dylan Farrow, it is absolutely unfair to expect vulnerable young women to produce evidence in a case of brainwashing and abuse, especially when they're still young and their brains aren't even fully developed. And that's exactly why these creepos go after these young girls. Before I go, I want to show you guys something. In my research, I've seen firsthand just how many people still blindly support Robert. Today in 2021, and now with 30 years of allegations, multiple sex tapes, dozens of victims, listen to this. These are some comments I found under Facebook posts about R. Kelly's legal battles. Free R. Kelly. I love me some him. Free R. Kelly and jail the groupies. Give this legend a break. Free the king of R&B. Free that man. They freed Bill Cosby, so free him. And the parents, no punishment. Innocent until proven guilty, without reasonable doubt. What the fuck? Are the parents next? He's really being dragged through the mud. Set this man free. Free R. Kelly if the victim's parents are free. If the parents are free, he should be too. Finally get it over with so he can go home to his family. (laughs) That's funny. Only God knows all, so free R. Kelly. The funny thing is, these comments were actually a lot worse a few weeks ago. I feel like with the trial currently happening, and also with everything that just happened with Bill Cosby, who I will talk about in a few weeks, I think it's finally bringing attention to some people and I don't know if the comments are being hidden or what's happening, but it, throughout my research it was a lot harder to find today than it was a few weeks ago. But anyway, I've I've stated how I feel about the parent blaming. Yes, some of them maybe didn't do their jobs as parents. However, some of them also were completely blindsided as well and Even if we are going to blame the parents, we can't act like R. Kelly did nothing wrong here. None of this would have happened if R. Kelly hadn't come into those girls' lives. For the most part. I mean, like I said, Rashonda Landfair, I don't know about her parents, but her dad being a musician, how do I know that he wouldn't have gotten involved with another musician that had similar tastes or something? But a lot of the other parents, I feel like R. Kelly took advantage of them too. I know I've, I've, kind of done a lot of trash talking about R. Kelly in this episode, but at the end of the day, what I truly think is this man needs help. He needs a fancy rehab facility for his sexual addiction. He needs some real substantial therapy. And I think he needs to get down to the root of his issues and his friends and his crew needs to stop enabling him. I mean when R. Kelly shows these tapes to his buddies on the tour bus, We can all hope that they're all secretly disgusted, but the truth of the matter is probably that his buddies were into it and maybe gave him props on it. Like his close friend Kim Delaney said, to blindly support Robert is to do a disservice to Robert. We're not helping anyone by supporting Robert like this, not the victims and not him. In the past 30 years, has anyone close to him tried to get him help? Other than the libido-reducing injections What measures were taken, and were they taken just to mask what he was actually doing behind the scenes, or was anybody actually trying to get him help? Okay, guys, we are all done talking about R. Kelly now. I want to thank you again so much for following Broken Limelight. Once again, you can go to brokenlimelight.com to see show notes under every episode, I want to remind you that you can send me a donation at buymeacoffee.com slash ddwest. For every person that sends a $5 or more donation, I will give you a shout out on a future episode. If you want to send me $20 or more, then I will send you a free t-shirt. If you ever have a celebrity true crime case that you would like to suggest, you can go ahead and reach out to me at West at brokenlimelight.com or you can just go to brokenlimelight.com and find the contact me form and you can submit it through there. If you would like to hear about a true crime case that is not related to celebrities, I would like to recommend that you listen to the Morning Murders podcast. That's Morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, Murders. They're three of the funniest bitches I know, and boy, do they know how to tell a true crime tale. So give them a listen. I highly recommend them. All right, guys, until next time. Bye. Bye. Today's episode is brought to you by Hunt a Killer. Hunt a Killer is a monthly mystery subscription box that's truly one of a kind. It's basically like a crime case in a box. It comes with case files, codes to decipher, detailed backgrounds about the suspects and the victims. There's evidence for you to evaluate. It tells an immersive story of a whole crime case from beginning to end. It's kind of like an escape room in a box. You can do this by yourself, or you can team up with a buddy or do it for, like, a game night or even a date night. You can take a little break from technology and immerse yourself fully into this box, or if you prefer to be more of a high-tech investigator, you can join online communities and talk to other Hunt a Killer players about clues and stuff. Hunt a Killer also shares part of its proceeds with the Cold Case Foundation, which helps with real-life cold cases. The best part is that Broken Limelight listeners get 20% off of their first subscription box. So get started now at huntakiller.com and be sure to use code broken limelight to get your twenty percent off.